Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another broadcast on the Soul of America Radio. Tonight, you're listening to Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness with your host, J.R. Thicklin. Tonight's broadcast is brought to you by Blog Talk Radio, hosted and produced by the Soul of America Radio. Comments made on tonight's broadcast do not necessarily reflect the views of Blog Talk Radio, the Soul of America Radio, or its host. Hope and Healing takes you from a place of pain, abuse, violence, rejection, and abandonment to a place of hope, healing, and power. All aboard with your author, activist, advocate, and friend, man of purpose himself, and your host for the evening, Mr. J.R. Diglett. Yeah. Called in as of yet, and hopefully we'll just continue on 
as we do each and every Monday night. I pray and trust that you've had a marvelous, absolutely marvelous weekend. And as we are here in the month of March, my God, we're approaching springtime pretty soon. And um, for many, uh, a change of season is just what they want and just what they need. For others, the change of season is so unpredictable that it is still as tedious and as, uh, if you would, as threatening as the winners of their lives. And so that's why we're here each and every Monday night. I'm so glad that you are here live with us. Those of you that follow us on Facebook, there are a few pages that you can find us at at Facebook. Get a piano pistol. Because you can find us at Domestic Violence That Is Your Business. That is one of our pages, open group page there, and there you'll find a lot of information as it relates to domestic violence, where to turn, resources, warning signs, and other things there that have been posted and constantly updated there. And then we also have another page we like to call it is the basically the opposite or the antithesis of that page. We have a Destiny by Choice 2, that's Roman numeral 2, fellowship page, and that's where you can find inspiration, hope, prayers, and all those great things. There's the drama free social network and I invite you to go to that group there it is a closed group so yeah if you knock on the door we will invite you and uh, be a part of that what a uh, powerful group that is as well and of course you can find us on the J.R. Thicklin uh, page there on Facebook for those of you that can remember what today is you can also find us uh, there on Son of Selma Lesson Learned that's another one of our pages there, and I bring that up because today is March 7th. I want to send out a happy, special happy birthday greeting to my younger brother, Terry, uh, uh, there in Houston, Texas. I want to just send out a great happy birthday to him. I had an opportunity to speak to him earlier. Everything, and I told him, and I asked him, did he get his AARP card in the mail yet? And uh, he said, no, uh, he's going to return it if he does. But, uh, hey, you know, life goes on. You're knocking at the door, guy. When you knock at the door, you get those AARP cards and all those type things there. But I want to wish my brother once again a happy birthday on today. And, uh, and for each of you that are listening by way of radio or by way of the uh, Internet, I'm so glad to have you. And there's so many interesting things that are going on uh, inside of uh, our society today, uh, things that are impacting our lives on a great deal. And tonight I want to really be able to have a Chautauqua. And what that means is that I want you and I to become very close tonight. I want us to be able to have conversation about something that I think that too often we just continue to skirt around and we don't talk about because we don't ever draw the connection between uh, its impact in the lives or the quality of life that any of individuals uh, suffer as a result of going through domestic violence. And so it's very, it's very important that we have a real conversation tonight about this matter here. I want to uh, hit a few things that I think is absolutely also pertinent that we talk about tonight. And one of those things there is that whether you know it or not, again, for the second consecutive week, there's, there was a church shooting that took place. Yeah, there was a church shooting that took place on uh, yesterday in a, uh, it's very sad. Uh, it's going to be uh, a sad day when we continue to see, if you would, churches and pastors being shot there on their church grounds, in their pulpits. And uh, it's a very sad day. On last week, it was a case of a pastor being shot to death in his church by his brother. 
and uh, this week here, this particular pastor was shot six times, and uh, thank God, looks like he's going to make it, and we have those type of things that are happening. And uh, in the midst of all these things, we're still seeing a lot of domestic violence happening. They're showing up on church steps, and guess what? Too often we don't know what to do. No one has been trained on what to do. No one has been told how to do it. No one has been the one to lead that charge. And so guess what? People are more vulnerable today than ever before, going right to the house of worship because of the fact that they're going to these places there, and oftentimes there's no one that they've talked to or no one have engaged them. Pastors not aware of it. Uh, no one needs, knows how to address these issues at all. And so guess what? As it escalates, and it escalates in the in their partner, their abusive partner, ends up showing up at church, and now we have a whole different type of problem. And that problem is one that uh, isn't a good thing. That problem there actually puts a whole lot of other people into uh, a very peril of a situation. So we have a real situation that we have to look at here. Uh, And so uh, I want to say this to you that tonight is about addressing a lot of different issues. We are waiting on our special guests to call in tonight. And in the meanwhile, you can feel free if you have a question or comment, hit number one on your keypad. We'd like to get you on the air as well. And uh, and we want to make sure that this happens in a great way. We want to make sure that we get a chance to discuss some things that I think that is more than more than pertinent, more than uh more than necessary to discuss. And I think that's very important that we understand life and the quality of life, the safety of life, and what happens when people are really bombarded by these issues. These issues don't generally go away. Listen, these issues don't go away. These issues remain uh, a very much of a threat to our society, threat to our homeland, threat to our family. And let me say something. In a day of instant kaboom and things exploding and blowing up and all those things there, we have to understand that the effect and the long range, the long-term effect of being exposed to violence and living an abusive life is not always like a kaboom. Oftentimes it's something that ends up imploding or exploding from the inside out. And then it's thing that takes time, and oftentimes, uh, you know, years have gone before we realize how how devastating it has been, how devastating it has been uh, for individuals who have suffered at the hands of domestic violence. And so I, I say that to you today, that uh, we have a real serious issue in this country. We have a real serious issue in our society. We have a real serious issue, and that it's going to take all of us to address it. It's going to take all of us to really recognize where we're coming from. It's going to take all of us to recognize the fact that in order to make a difference in our schools, on our jobs, uh, in our communities, in our society, it is going to take each one actually reaching one. And so um, I say that to you today. Uh, I invite your calls. I invite your comments and things. And I want you to know today that, listen, our children, our children are exposed to abuse and violence, and they are. And when they're exposed to it, you must understand that they don't go unscathed. They're not unscathed simply because of the fact that they, uh, you know, didn't get hit in the fight or they did not necessarily, uh, you know, uh, seem like they were injured. The reality is is that they are injured. They're injured inside of the things that are happening to them. They're injured inside of the things that they're exposed to. 
So this is something that's real. This is something that we need to be very cognizant of, and we need to really, really understand the dynamics of what's happening in this issue that we call uh, domestic violence, an issue that has affected us at large. People living under fear, under siege in their own homes. And uh, we're looking forward to some of our guests that will be coming in real soon. And uh, I look forward to the fact of being able to share with you some things that I think is very pertinent in this day and time. I think that we have to understand the fact that um, we are really one another. We are our brother's keepers. Uh, that that goes without saying. Not only are we our brother's keeper, but I think that each of us have to understand how vitally important it is on our society, there's no society that can function and be healthy with these type of issues going on. No, absolutely no society that can, uh, you know, be uh, a healthy society when we're seeing the violence in our society being celebrated, where people are becoming very desensitized to violence. So violence happens, people going about their business. Violence happens, people act, act as if, uh, you know, it's everyday occurrence. When violence becomes normalized in any civilized society, then it is the beginning of the crumbling of that society. You need to hear that today. You need to understand that. And I am looking forward to you and I having this discussion tonight. So, area code 323-784-9638. That is how you reach us tonight. Area code 323-784-9638. That is how you reach us tonight. I hope and healing a journey to wholeness. And you're listening to J.R. Thicklin, and I'm so very glad that you've joined us tonight. And I want to uh, come back right after this commercial message, but more more than that, I want you to listen to this victim as they really tell you their plight. I still look over my shoulder every day, and the fear's still there. This woman was a victim of domestic abuse. She has chosen to conceal her identity because even though she is free, the fear is still there. For her, getting the courage to leave the comfortable life she knew and not return was the hardest part. I left 11 times. She tried therapy and counseling, but nothing stopped the abuse. I thought that, you know, if I loved him enough, that he would love me back. Ultimately, it was the concern for her children that made her leave. When I saw it affecting my children, I guess that was what really made my mind up. For this victim and some others, they're able to escape their dangerous relationship and find comfort and safety in shelters like the one behind me. Abuse Alternatives in Bristol provides an emergency shelter, therapy, court advocacy, and much more. They you know, tried to just guide me in a direction without putting too much pressure. During the holidays, she was upset about making it a normal one for her children, but Abuse Alternatives took care of that as well. I had no idea how I was going to do Christmas for my kids, and they saw that Santa came. Since leaving her husband and coming to abuse alternatives, she has noticed an improvement in her children's attitudes. They smile more. They're open more. They're happy, and they feel safe. With the recent tragedy in Glade Spring, this victim knows that a similar fate could have been hers if she never got the courage to escape. I think if uh, I didn't have abuse alternatives to turn to, that you would be doing the story that you've done on her, on me. Kelsey Lair, 19 News, Bristol. 
And there you have it there. Victim speaks out, and it's a very serious uh, subject matter there. And when we understand the impact uh, of abuse on their lives, you know, it's not a matter of uh, always so easy to get out. It is all the barriers that come with things that we take for granted with everyday living. And I want us to uh, definitely understand how important that is today. I want to take a caller tonight. We have a caller that is calling. I'm not sure if it's from the great state of Texas or where it may be, but call a number ending in 9244. I'm going to welcome you on the air tonight. Good evening. You're on Hope and Healing, a journey to holiness. Good evening, Pastor. How are you? <laughs> I am great. Girl. How are you tonight? Now, is this our friend out of Texas? Yes, yes. Uh, I have another line. I'm from Colleen. I'm from Colleen, Texas. I'm from the Central Texas area. Right. And, uh, okay. you know, in the Fort Hood, you know, actually yes. with Fort Hood, you know, the military, you know, we have, like, the high risk of, of domestic violence also and child abuse, too. So, you know, I'm not going to, you know, mention more about child abuse, but, you know, we're more domestic, domestic violence. But, um... I always remember um, a while back, it was like two or three years ago, and it kind of clicked on me when you were talking about the shootings and, you know, about the churches and everything like that. And um, I went to this one class in St. Temple, and the class that I was given out was a detective from the police department. And she had mentioned about a safety plan. Right. And, you know, what it is, and, and I'm going to get make it short because I know you're kind of a little busy and, you know, you people coming in and everything. But um, with a safety plan, what it is, like, what individual or as a person what would do if they're going to go out and what's going to happen to them? Where's the safety plans are? You know, and right. you know you have to have someone there. You know, especially if they're if they're like in the high, you know, like in the danger. Like, you know, you have a big, you know, a guy like, you know, who's a stalker or whoever it is. You know, you don't want, you know. And the only thing is, always make sure to carry your cell phone around and call the police. You know, just right. in case that you know, and. You know, even though, like, you outside, you want to do some outdoor activities with your kids or with your friends and everything, you know, you have to have a safety plan, period. Absolutely. And that's important. You bring up a very important thing because safety planning is important in order for, you know, for a person who's in an abusive relationship and they feel trapped and isolated, uh you know, they understand that they have to be calculated in order to get out of these abusive relationships. So that means that they have to, if I call it, they have to forecast. They have to be able to kind of look ahead and what will I do, what do I need, what things I need to have in place, you know, uh, whether it's, you know, making sure that they have extra set of keys and extra set of things like birth certificates and, you know, medical records if they for themselves yeah. and or their kids, uh, other things that they must have in order to make sure that their kids are, you know, that, they're, uh, that they have the things that they need uh, to survive yes, exactly. even when they leave. And that's so important. And then one of the other things that I think is oftentimes difficult is finding someone. Mm-hmm. Uh, Exactly. You know, finding someone that they can confide in to let them know, here, listen, this is what I'm doing. I may need you to hold this for a little bit until that time. 
but for whatever uh, uh, whatever that situation may uh, present, you know, having someone there for support is so important inside of even safety planning because uh, safety planning is trying to have the best foot forward, knowing that everything doesn't always work out uh, at once. And one of the things that we often talk about is that sometimes you have to have a safety plan for different situations. Exactly. My safety plan to get out, my safety plan, how do I survive now that I'm out, my, you know, my safety mm-hmm. plan, how do I stay safe at, if I should land a new job, how do I keep my kids safe because now they're, you know, so there are so many things that are going on there. And that's what I think that has we have to do is wake up the conscience of, of our nation and, and people to understand that abusive relationships is, in my opinion, I call it, <laughs> I call it yeah. domestic terrorism. That's what it is. Exactly. It is domestic terrorism. You, you're living in this fear. You're being terrorized right at home. You know, and it's interesting. After 9/11 happened in this country, we created a whole new department, the Department of Homeland Sec- Homeland Security. But what do we do when the homeland is the part where where the uh, terror and the violence is coming from? What department do we create then? And I think that's yeah. today. You know, how do we create a homeland security within the, ho- within the homeland? And I think that's where, you know, exactly. uh, it's a gray area because who regulates behavior? How far can the law go? And that, and that puts a lot of, uh, to me, that puts a lot of onus on John and Mary Q. Public, the neighbors, people. People that are willing to be upstanders and not bystanders and say, "Listen, not in this neighborhood, not in this, not in this uh, area here. We won't tolerate domestic violence and yes. that type of violence." And I mean, just to prevent, you know, the incident that happened in the church and the malls or you know any place you go. That's the main, you know. That's the main tool for, you know, especially for the victims. And, I mean, I mean, I don't like to, you know, carry guns around, carry weapons, but, you know, the only thing, you know, pepper spray is the only best tool for, for women out there to to do self-defense. I mean, that's the only thing we have to do. <laughs> I mean, I, mean, I don't like to fight, but... And it's a, I mean, I don't like to fight. I don't like violence. But you know, the only thing is, if you gotta defend yourself and survive yourself, that's the only thing we have to do. You know, and not to kill the person. Just you know, do a little. You know, like kick them in the legs or something. Just run off or call the police. You know, just run, just run away and call the cops and just report what's going on. So. And I do appreciate it, Pastor. I'll just kind of share this to y'all, so I'll let you guys go. <laughs> so, No, um, it's always good to have you to call in. Thank you for your insight. You know, right there in Colleen, Texas, as you're saying, Fort Hood and that whole area, people don't understand absolutely yes. the rate of domestic violence among military individuals and military family, uh, mm-hmm. where there's a great deal of post-traumatic stress disorder that has been suffered mm-hmm. and uh you know, and and we don't think about that. We don't we don't consider yes. how how that dynamic plays out, and it does. And we see it uh, we see it happening. You know, we see yes. it happening 
from every from every angle. And uh, we have to be willing to take that next step. And we must be and, willing uh, as a society to say, look, we've got to do the right thing. We've got to take care of those that are uh, that are out there, uh, you know, on the front lines, because you know you can't take them from that type of environment of war and then think that they're going to automatically translate without any problem. And uh, you know, and, and we have to be really, uh, you know, that that that's we have to be very cognizant of those things. And uh, so that's why I'm always glad when you do call in and uh, you do lend yes. some very important insight. So thank you so much. Yes. Thank you. So Thank you much. so much, Pastor. Have a Keep good night. Keep now. Okay, oh, I'll have I will. to let you know when I'm coming to Texas soon, okay? Oh, I will. <laughs> I will. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so very much. <laughs> you listen to Open Healing, a journey to hold us. This is your host, Jared Thickland, and I'm so very glad that you've joined us tonight on the Soul of America Radio Network. And like always, we always have the opportunity to entertain our guests that calls in. And i one of the things that are so important, uh, and thank you so much, our, our president uh, uh, of Soul of America Radio Network, uh, uh, Mr. Tony Stallings, that he actually sent me uh, some questions that are actually contained in the domestic violence risk assessment, and I've seen this before and using it, because oftentimes there are people that may be in an abusive relationship, and they haven't determined how lethal it is. So generally, these are the questions that you may get sitting down with a police officer or an advocate, and they're going to ask questions such as this, and uh, I'm going to hopefully uh, uh, pass this on to ND and see if she can post it on our Domestic Violence It Is Your Business page and some other ones, and I think it's so important. Uh, here's some of the questions that are asked. Has she or he ever used a weapon against you, threatening you with the weapon? See, this when you start talking about, okay, how, when do I know that this abusive relationship that I'm in is beyond just a disagreement, an argument, a love of spat, beyond just intense, you know, fellowship in terms of that? And I know that I have some friends that are on the line. Uh, I've also put out a call to my uh, dear friend, uh, uh, Chief Deputy Michael Blow, a former Chief Deputy there of uh, Princess, Prince George County, Maryland, there, I've had some. Um, I put out some um, calls and invites to my other friends that are law enforcement, and and definitely I invite you in on this part here as we talk about these different assessments. And and not only that, on last week I shared with you a story, the very tragic story, of here it is a, a a law enforcement officer first day on the job had just been sworn in the day before, and she lost her life on her first call out which happened to be domestic violence, and I, a domestic violence call. She, along with two other fellow officers, were shot. She actually was killed in the line of duty, and that is a serious situation. So I, I said that, and I'm hoping that my dear friend uh, will call uh, in tonight, uh, 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 working with our West Palm Beach Police Department here. But when our dear friend, I'm hoping that they would call in tonight uh, because of the fact I know the lethality, uh, and I should say the danger that goes along with it. you got to understand, as much as law enforcement officers get a bad rap and we talk about what they do and don't do, I have news for you. How many of us would like to trade places with them? Their jobs, 
their job is always danger. You know, when they're out there, their job is dangerous. I mean, protecting the peace is not always that easy. It's not always done peacefully neither. And one of the things that I'm hoping that one of our friends will call in and be able to share with you is about the fact that domestic violence calls are the most dangerous calls for law enforcement officers that they go on. So if you want to call in, Erico 323-784-9638, Erico 323-784-9638. We're going to take another caller. We're not going to even go to commercial right now. And I'm calling my dear friend. I know that he's calling in right now. Number in at 8095. Good evening, and welcome to Open Healing, a journey to wholeness. Yes, sir. You're, Good afternoon. You're on the air, sir. How are you today? I'm doing well, doing well. And um, I was <clears throat> listening to some of your comments. And, and yes. certainly, uh, again, the comments you made, particularly around uh, domestic violence and, and the safety plan and all of those types of things are certainly uh, very good things to have. And the the issue is, is just such a, a looming issue in terms of, of the way you respond to it, preparing for it, because I think that in light of all the preparation that you may be able to do, I, I think it, it just is overwhelming when it actually strikes a family, uh, whoever Absolutely. is the aggressor and, and certainly the person that is on the receiving end. And and I just think that uh, certainly we need to look at every mechanism that we have available to us to help families to get the help they need if there's a particular member of the family that is uh, a little more aggressive than the other to help them to work through those issues in terms of anger management and communication skills and those types of things. Uh, because at the end of the day, it certainly is its not against the law or it's not even against, uh, you know, morality to disagree. However, when those disagreements become physical and dangerous, that's where we start getting into the other side of, of those issues. And that's not where we want to be. So, uh, you know, again, I just appreciate you again allowing me to participate in the discussion and I uh, look forward to uh, hearing some more feedback. Well, I appreciate it. Don't don't go anywhere because you open up something, and I, I need to ask this question because the fact, I mean, I thought you laid it out perfectly about, you know, being able to redirect people to the resources and the help that they need. And I and I wanna and I wanna I wanna bring this out and and, and because to me, having been involved in this movement over twenty three years and, and I and I, I've seen so many things there. I've seen progress but then I've seen stagnation. And the longer I've been in it, I really think that I see some some, some what I call some self inflicting barriers. And they're self inflicting because in many ways I think that they're not necessarily purely found to be one size fit all. And as a result, when we try to take one size and make one size fit all, I think we put, you know, we oftentimes put people in danger or we remove the sense of hope for anyone. And I give you my case in point of what I'm talking about. As you talked about resources and people getting help and, you know, you know, as it is normal, it's not unusual, it's not immoral for people to have disagreements and even argue with each other. However, it is when a person goes beyond that, and now it's a matter of battering, hitting, swearing, threatening, choking out, and all these things there, and this becomes a pattern of behavior for these individuals. 
Now, you mentioned anger management, and as a person who's worked in the field and, a, and also a certified anger management specialist, one of the things that oftentimes that happens in the area of domestic violence is that so many of the advocates will say, well, it's not an anger problem. You know, they're controlling their anger quite well because of the fact, listen, they're not choking out everybody. They're not choking out their bosses. They're not choking out, you know, the neighbor, but they're choking out this particular victim. And so when a person hears that, do they give up hope and say, well, no need to try to persuade them to go get anger management because of the fact, you know, it's not really anger. And I think that we've used that as a one size fit all, but I'm but I do believe that there's a lot of room and wiggle room there that in some cases there is anger. And we're not saying anger caused domestic violence, but what we're saying is that anger oftentimes precedes domestic violence. And so we have to deal with it. What is your take on that? Because I think that's where the divide happens even amongst the movement, the domestic violence movement, uh, treatment, how do we address these things. And I think as a result of that, uh, there are people that, you know, that oftentimes throw up their hands because there's there's no hope. And it's kind of like that old theory with the domestic violence movement, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater, what's a batterer, always a batterer. And I I just can't buy into that theory because I know that people, if they want to, and if provided the right resources and the things that they need, they can change. Sure. Well, I think that uh, my view of, of domestic violence is, I mean, in its, in its purest form, and, you know, either one or both of the parties, they, they lack the capacity to resolve conflict of some type. And, of course, it could be anything, as we've seen over the years, from I don't like what you cook for dinner to, you know, ranging up through the household finances to, you know, you were looking at this this guy in line at the, the Wendy's. And so, and everything in between. And so, I guess we have to look at what mechanisms help people to have that capacity to resolve conflict. And, and, and of course, we've all been in situations where you've been so angry that you've just seen stars and so forth. But the majority of us have been able to reach that point where we understand, okay, this isn't getting us anywhere. I'm just going to leave this alone for now. Maybe we can revisit this at some other point or, we, or we're able to resolve it. Unfortunately, you have those that don't have the ability, and that's, and that's the key. That, that that group of people that don't have that capacity to um, to resolve that situation and and, um, and resolve that particular issue. And so, with that being said, uh, you, you know I look all over the country at the various programs. You have safe houses. You have uh, programs. You have uh, support groups and and just a host of things that are designed not only for the abuser, but for the victim as well, and the combination. And so I I think that as we look at this issue, uh, we need to look at a lot of things. Is there a, you know, is there a, a system that allows you to sort of tell if you're predisposed to this type of behavior? Uh, You know, maybe that's the answer, but I think, Certainly, everyone is looking for that magic bean, and uh, unfortunately, we haven't found the magic bean up to date, up to this point. But I think the the thing that should always continue 
is keeping domestic violence and and all of its destructive qualities in the forefront of the discussions. Uh, as we look at, at laws that punish people, as we look at programs to assist people so that they're not uh, they don't become part of the, the criminal justice system in the first place. And, of course, the ultimate thing that we want to make sure that we absolutely eradicate is anyone else losing their life to domestic violence. Absolutely. And when we look at that, you know, one of the things that is so staggering is the fact that the number of people who do lose their lives to domestic violence, and yet it's still there's not a, a public outcry, uh, it's almost uh, – you know, business as usual, and in many ways, I think the problem is is the fact that uh, we're dealing with a, a society where a lot of this type of violence has become normalized behavior. You know, we expect to see it. It's, it's you know, we laugh about it. You, you, I mean, the number of postings that you see out there with just violence, period, where people are fighting and uh, you know, literally, you know, and everybody world star those type thing. It is. It goes on to show us how we as a society have begun to be, if you would, fascinated, entertained by violence. These things happen. Uh, you know, we say it's not our business. We move on with our lives. We go on and never consider the long-range impact that it has, especially on young kids that are watching and, and not to mention just the victim himself. No one can continue to go on and on in life being put down, being beaten down, being ostracized, being uh you know, being a punching bag, uh, we're not designed to do that. And when that happens over a long period of time, you know, we then, uh, we have impacted a person to the fact uh, to the fact that many do end up suffering from uh, post-traumatic stress disorder and the like. So, you know, there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of things that I think that uh, collectively, as you said, we have to do because we haven't found that magic portion, that magic peel or anything there. I think it's called work. We've got to, have to work real hard because this is something that continues to evolve. Sure, and, and you mentioned something very important. Uh, the the theory is known as modeling, and when that behavior is 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 learned from uh, from watching others do it. I mean, you know, we talked last week, and I'm, again, I'm just going to pick on reality television, and 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 I have to admit that I look at reality television, and and I and I find it entertaining and so forth. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely guilty. Have my hand up right Absolutely. now. Absolutely. But the other thing, though, when you look at at some of the situations that you see on on reality television, you know that same script where those the the two characters are having an issue, they're sitting in a restaurant, and then all of a sudden that that situation just gets to the point where now they're throwing things at each other and and ready to fight. Absolutely. But of course, of course, you always have the the big bouncers that, that are hired by the network that come in and break everything up. Well, in reality, exactly. <laughs> we just don't yeah, have one know. of those in our backyard or in our houses, do we? <laughs> exactly. Now, exactly. And, and the reality is when it gets to that situation, there there are not those types of resources available to pull people apart and calm the situation down and that type of stuff. And but when you're seeing it on, you turn to this show, then you turn to that show, you turn to this network and that network, and that's the prevailing theme at some point during the show. You know, you, it starts to send a subliminal message. Well, if I'm having an issue, then this is how you're supposed to handle your business. And of course, we know that's not the way civilized people are supposed to behave. 
you know. And so there's just so many uh, situations out there where people see it or they've, they've grown up with it or, you know, just other types of of uh, uh, opportunity for exposure to this unacceptable behavior. And, and, again, that's another challenge of eradicating domestic violence from our midst. Well, you're exactly right. And then, you know, how do we make it count? That's the real question. How do we make it count in the eyes of people? You know, I am very big on what I call valued live lives, valued live lives. Not black lives matter, but valued live lives, because I believe that if we live valued live lives, then guess what? Without any equivocation, we know that black lives matter and every other life matter. But if we don't live valued live lives, then what we do, I often think that we teach people how to treat us. I think ultimately we teach people how to treat us. And so and it comes with how we treat ourselves. If I value me, if I carry myself in a certain way, if there's a value, a standard of which I have, then guess what? It is what I adhere to, and therefore when you encounter me, you see me walking in that sense of value status. That's where I am. It is hard for you, it's hard for someone to entreat us in a way that we have not ourselves, you know, that, that it's hard for someone to entreat us in a way that is negative and that is condescending in that form, at that level, if we ourselves are valuing ourselves. In other words, we make it very clear. We draw the line. Here's the parameters and the boundary. This here is just unacceptable. It doesn't happen. But in a world of, quote, I always say in a world of reality TV, I just wonder whose reality it is, you know, but uh, in a world of reality TV, guess what? It leaves such a broad lens and such an open view to interpret so many things. And so we, we learned that, the, you know, we learned how to deal with violence. There's a glorification of people throwing glasses and throwing water and, and drinks on each other because they disagreed, and it continues to escalate. And so we have to show another picture. When is it going to be the fact, as it was one time, where, listen, no one wanted to be shamed. No one wanted to be looked upon as if they are the villain. And uh, they don't want to be looked upon in a sense of disgrace. And yet it's still today's society is one that thrives off of distasteful and disgraceful things. And so we do those things because we know that it gets talked about. We uh, we do those things because it, it gets us ratings. We do those things because it earns us viewers. We do those things because, in fact, hey, in a day of social media, I get my fame for a few hours. But sure, I can see the same. At, at whose expense, so exactly, and and it's and it's such a, a it, it's such an all-encompassing response that needs to occur. I mean, you have to look at everything from uh, the the young people, folks who are married, folks who are single, uh, black, white. It, it just doesn't matter they, because there are all kinds of there are all kinds of situations that sort of. Glorify this type of behavior. I mean, we talked about reality shows. We could certainly look at some of the the music that's out here these days, where you're referring to females in derogatory terms throughout the videos and Absolutely. throughout the movie and those types of things. And and again, it sends that subliminal message. So when I get upset with my girlfriend or my boyfriend, then I'm going to throw derogatory terms um, in their direction uh, to to number one to get to get my point across, and number two, hopefully I, I'm I've been just 
so overwhelming in my criticism of, of their just their being that they will submit to my will. And so, you know, and it's not, and, and again, I'm not laying all this on the feet of videos, reality TV. We all know it's bigger than that. Uh, but these right. are just two examples of, of in-your-face type situations where, you know, we see it every day. You can turn on the television or the radio or YouTube or whatever mechanism you, you entertain yourself with these days. You can see it as soon as you pop on that, that, um, that venue. And uh, and then of course in the schools as we're as the young people are matriculating, uh, we need to look at those basic civics type of of opportunities to teach. I mean, you remember when we were growing up, you you had certain classes. They they actually called it civics and other things. Absolutely. Uh, back in the day, I'm 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 dating myself now. I remember when they used to call it junior <laughs> high school. So, but you know you 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 had those types of opportunities to kind of you know, teach being a good citizen and, and manners and, and those types of things. And maybe we need to look at that also on top of all of the other uh, resources that are available for people to uh, either prevent themselves from walking down that path or since they have traveled that path either as, as a perpetrator or a victim, um, they can, again, get that, that support that they need so that this is not a recurring situation. You know what? As you say that, you know, you know, you took me back with that one too, because I remember civics classes. I remember in school there were actually some classes there beyond your core classes that actually was meant to prepare you for life, prepare you for things that you would encounter in life. You know, uh, they used to have home economic classes. They used to have different classes like that, and it was meant to prepare you for the larger things that would happen in life. And um, and it's interesting, we don't see that as much these days in time, but one of the things I will say that is so incredibly important, I believe, in this day and time, is the fact that when we understand how important it is to not only know your rights, but to carry yourself to be a productive citizen, is that something that is valued as much as it once were? And I think that that's what we have to look at today is that, are we living in a society where, you know, uh, be, being good is bad? Uh, you know, it kind of came in during the day and time of the nerds, you know. Uh, nerds were the smart people. Then all of a sudden, kids didn't want to be nerds anymore. Kids didn't mm-hmm. want to be seen as nerds. They didn't want to be seen as smart and, and responsible anymore. They wanted to be seen as rough. And, and, and so we is, we, we've had a couple of generations now, even females, that are, I want a rough neck. Give me a thug. I, I need a rough guy. And, and, so, and with the glorification of those type of images, too, in many ways we end up taking the bad, the good with the bad. You know, um, you know that's what we want. We're looking for those type things, and, and but at the end of those images, oftentimes was behaviors that had been informed by lives or being exposed to violence. Lives where women were derogated. Uh, you know, they were not honored, and they became everything but a child of God. And yet, it's still we got a problem in our society because of the fact. Guess what? We've got even women that are hanging on to those type things. They're still looking for the bad guy. I want a rough neck. Give me the thug life. And you get all those things going, and guess what? We produce what we produce in our society. 
We've got boys who never learn how to be men because of the fact they, they've seen this behavior. This is where you handle females. They're no good. Well, guess what? It's amazing to me, and I'm going to say something that may be kind of crass for the moment. Because they're exposed to these type of actions, these things happening, see, it's amazing that they will abuse and they will beat and they will do all those things, but they won't stop having sex with them. Yeah. She's a, you know, yeah. she's a hoe. She's she's all these things. They won't stop having sex with her. And oftentimes, guess what? Now they produce a child, and this child is born into a world with this type of ongoing violence that is going on, and it becomes, once again, a cycle, and it becomes this child's norm. And it continues on and on and on. Here's a person who, first of all, they've proven that they're irresponsible, because you've got to be pretty irresponsible, in my opinion, Chief, uh, to abuse someone that you say that you love. you got to be pretty oh, sure. irresponsible. I mean, to, to, to live that type of life and, and continuously to, uh, uh, to bring a person to that type of a situation. I, I think that one has to be totally insensitive. One has to be totally uh, disconnected. Uh, you know, uh, you know, one has to be totally, if you would, alienated from any sense of morals. And so I, I want to encourage people today to recognize the fact you're worth, recognize your value, recognize the fact that, listen, you are better than that. And I like to say it that way. You are better than that. You have to be better than that inside of every situation because of the fact this does not just happen. These things are oftentimes, this is learned behavior. I, I do what I do because I, you know, I often say that I act the way that I act because I think the way I think. I think the way I think because I believe what the things I believe. And so it's all interconnected. You know, uh, the the Bible says that, you know, uh, so a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And so if I spend a lifetime being nurtured, having the imprint of violence on my life, this is the way I act, this is the way I react inside of situation, this is how I've been taught to handle things, then guess what? I play it out. I play it out. It is what I do. It is what I do. How do when I have disagreements with you? I don't settle that through negotiation. I don't settle that through talking. I don't settle that through reasoning. I settle it by power and control by force. Why do I settle it that way? Because often that's the way I've grown up, and I've seen it settled that way. So we have a real issue, and this is the issue that, once again, I don't think we can regulate this. This is human behavior. And the only way out of this, the only way to break this cycle is that it, it is an effort that every person is going to have to see themselves with a responsibility to make a difference. Erico three two three seven eight four nine six three eight. That is the uh, how you reach us tonight. You're listening to Hope and Healing: A Journey to Wholeness. This is your host J.R. Thicklin, and I'm so glad you join us here on the Soul of America Radio Network. And we're going to be right back after this commercial break, and we have a few confessions to share with you of some domestic violence victims. And we'll be back. Wrap it up. Hope 
and healing, a journey to wholeness with J.R. Thicklin is coming back right after this. You're listening to the Soul of America Radio, LLC. This is the one and only Soar. Right now at 323-784-9638. And now, Hope and Healing, Our Journey to Wholeness, continues with your host, J.R. Thicklin. And I'm so very glad you've joined us here tonight on the Soul of America Radio Network. And uh, before we left, I was so glad to have our dear friend, uh, 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 Chief Michael Bull, uh, being with us. And he's always sharing great insight with us on this show. And uh, I'm very grateful. I, I talked to you. We talked about it last week, and Chief got a chance to uh, uh, actually uh, contribute to that discussion. And uh, I have another friend of mine, officer, uh, who's actually in the midst of doing some things, our officer duties. But uh, she promised that if uh, if we're still on the air when she's done, she's going to join us tonight. But one of the things I wanted to do, and I, I need to give a lot of credit to the owner and producer of the Solo America Radio Network, um, uh, Mr. Uh, Tony Stallings, is because of the fact he takes the show very seriously. He's always listening uh, to the show. And he heard me mention this about the rookie cop, and uh, he actually pulled up a clip for us. So I want to take us uh, – 
and I want to share with the audience that may not have heard about it, uh, just a little clipping here from the Inside Edition about the rookie cop who was killed the day after being sworn in in a domestic violence situation. A rookie police officer with a passion to serve others dies in the line of duty during her first day on the job. 28-year-old Ashley Gindin was responding to a domestic disturbance in Virginia with two of her colleagues when police say this man, Ronald Hamilton, shot and killed her. Hamilton, armed with a gun, investigators say, opened fire at the three officers when they approached his front door. We have three officers that have been shot. A woman inside the home, identified as Crystal Hamilton, was able to call 911, but before officers arrived, she was allegedly shot and killed by Hamilton. An 11-year-old was also home at the time of the incident, but police say somehow escaped unharmed during the dispute. Hamilton is an Army Staff Sergeant assigned to the Pentagon. He was charged with capital murder and being held without bail. The county attorney says he'll seek the death penalty. Officers Jesse Hempen and David McGowan are expected to recover from their injuries. Gindin, who was sworn in as a police officer the night before, was told to be safe in this tweet by the department. A young woman's first day on the job tragically becomes her last. For InsideEdition.com, I'm Lee Shep. Wow. Well, you know, Chief, uh, the whole audience, I wanted them to hear that. Thank you so much, Tony. I mean, always just on it. But I, I played that because, if I, I mean, here you, you you had a long career in law enforcement. You understand these dynamics uh, better than most. How tragic must it be for her family? This is her first day on the job. Listen, not a bank robbery. You know, it wasn't a bank robbery. You know, it wasn't a drug deal. Things that we automatically think that would be dangerous. But it was to a, a call to domestic violence. 28-year-old, first day on the job, sworn in the night before. Her, along with two other fellow officers, were shot in this domestic violence call. She, Ashley, lost a life. You know, I mean, you know, being, you know, who you are, having served as, uh, you know, assistant chief of police and, and, you know, and having officers under you and, unfortunately, that tragedy of dealing with officers that have lost lives, you know, I really want you, if you have time, just to share with this audience how dangerous domestic violence is, and these type calls, and and the fact of here's an officer who who, who you know who's took the oath to protect and to serve, with every good intention, and life is cut short before it can ever begin. Take us into some of what, what must be going on there, and, and some of the experiences that you might have had. Well, I can tell you that that entire community is is hurting. And, you know, it, it, it just it goes beyond the police department. Uh, I can tell you for for certain that the chief and every member of the Prince William County uh, Department is really, uh, you know, they're, they're just in a, in, a, in a real emotional funk right now. Now, of course, there are professionals like all of the other 18,000 agencies across the United States. You know, they will certainly be ready the next day, the next hour, to go out and serve their their constituency, but it it definitely takes an emotional toll, uh, particularly a young lady that that this is her 
her first day uh, serving the citizens of that particular jurisdiction. That's that's just that's just a a very very heartbreaking story. And and as I said last week, you know, you know, your heart just goes out to that entire community. From a from an executive's position, that is the absolute worst thing that you will do as a police official, and that is to make a notification to a family that their loved one has, has made the ultimate sacrifice, and and now they will you, you know for eternity as a hero. But but certainly uh, the the emotional toll is is unbelievable, and you know there's that and, and of course as you know the the department as a whole and her close colleagues and her family and others they'll go through that entire grieving process the anger the denial you know just all those steps uh, will will avail themselves at some point as they as they try to get back to as normal a life as possible under the circumstances uh, in, in honor of, of their, their loved one. And, and you know, within, and you talked about uh, domestic violence. That is the top call that is that can claim the life of an officer. Uh, I taught tactics in the police academy uh, many years ago, and, you know, the officers would, you know, we talk about it, we train for it, you go through scenarios, you learn the various things that you need to learn to hopefully uh, diffuse those situations and bring about some resolution. But certainly the emotions that are involved in domestics, you know, it, it, it's unbelievable. I mean, and especially depending on what it is that created the, the situation in the first place. Uh, but when you're talking about matters of the heart or if it's a um, – it's an, uh, a situation where one spouse or one person in a relationship is alleging unfaithfulness or just a host of issues. The emotions are just unbelievable. And, of course, as you know, in every house, and this is one of the things we used to tell the recruits, there there is a weapon available. You have knives and forks and all kinds of other things in that house, and you have no idea, unless you've been there before, what type of, of weapons and other things may await you when you going to that situation. And so I'm certain they they probably got as much information as they could get and they and they approached it with a degree of caution. But you know, when someone is intent on, on harming people, uh you know, it's it's a it's a very difficult thing to to uh anticipate, particularly if they have the jump on you or they're they they've made up their mind they want to try to ambush the officers or whatever dastardly plan they have available. And so it it's it's a very dangerous call. Um it's a, it's a it's a dangerous profession. And it's a very challenging profession. And and I'm and I'm just uh, so thankful that I was given the privilege uh, to serve the, the citizens in Prince George's County. But it is certainly a profession that requires you every hour of every day to to really Make sure that you are focused, that you're paying attention. But at the same time, uh, Pastor Thicklin, you have to, uh, in terms of all that survival stuff and all that tactical stuff, you also have to maintain a degree of decorum and professionalism so that, you know, you are aware of what's going on, but at the same time, you are still uh, that, that calming presence. Uh, to the community or to that situation, so it's a. This was a very tragic situation. 
and and I and I just hope that that we're never having a discussion like this again because uh, that's just about as sad a situation as I've heard in a long time. You know, and, and Chief, I really appreciate your insight on this because the fact, you know, you really took this into an area that I think most people don't think about. You know, especially considering the culture of the day where there's so much anti-law enforcement rhetoric. We, we've seen a lot of, a, you know, bad, you know, and I say a lot of bad law enforcement, but I think that we see it because of social media and the, and the ability to get this message across. Not to justify there are a lot of bad people in every discipline of life, a lot of bad preachers, a lot of bad doctors, a lot of bad teachers, a lot of bad everyone. And yet it's still, I think that people find it very hard to think about some of the things you just said. You, you, you talked about the grieving process. That whole department and those people that was there with that officer, they're going to go through their grieving process. They're going to go through their hurt. They're going to go through their pain. They're going to go through all that, those things, and still yet be expected to function and go on. And we don't think about how challenging that is. It's not always that easy to bounce back. Um, we you took us into the inside of the fact of in spite of all the training that is there, real life situations sometimes you know present us things that we don't always have the time to practice. Is right on the spot, right on the money, and in this case here, I wonder you know you talk about you know here's a nine one one call has been made by the wife before the officer can even get there, she's killed. The story as it was, her girlfriends were waiting on her uh, at a particular place because it was a girl's night out. And then I think the thing that really, and this goes to your point of you saying, you know, you all teach in the the academy about the fact that every house has a weapon. Well, it may not be AK-47 or 357, but they got knives. (laughs) They got something there and guns. And unfortunately, in this case, what compounded the issue, we have here an Army sergeant who's assigned to the Pentagon. Of course, this is not a bunny fife that, that, that was there. This wasn't a bunny fife. I mean, I think I'm correct in saying that. It wasn't a bunny fife there who was having problems getting his gun get off of his side. He was the guy who was trained trained with a gun and with uh, with assault weapons. And I think that played a great part inside of uh, uh, the literally what almost appears to be an ambush. Certainly. And, and you know, the the other thing that I often think about, and again, this, is, this does not justify uh, homicide in any frame or in any fashion, but I, I often wonder after I read about the issue was, what were the assignments of the of the suspect? I mean, was he was he a combat um, soldier? Uh, what what assignments did he have? Was he suffering from some type of of um, of mental trauma as a result of some of his assignments? I mean, all of those things. And I know that that the investigators are, are looking at all those types of things, but it certainly uh, raises those questions in your mind. And the and of course the other thing is. Is um, that I think most people think, what is it that was just so devastating in that guy's mind that he felt that he had to not only kill his spouse, 
but he had to kill the, the folks who were really coming there to help. You know, I think one of the things that um, that people don't realize, and I'm not just making generalizations, but when they are in that type of situation, when when the law enforcement folks come to domestic situations, uh, certainly their first priority is making sure that everyone is safe, uh, that no one's being harmed, and and it's a safe environment, and and so forth. But secondly, what they what they attempt to do is to see what degree of resolution can they bring to that situation. And then, of course, um, if they can't resolve it, uh, they, most agencies uh, have resources that those officers are aware of that they can make referrals. And so, and, and then I forgot lastly, of course, if they do observe injuries and those types of things, uh, they are mandated in, in most states to uh, make a physical arrest. But but short of seeing those types of things, um, the officers are usually trying to see how can we resolve this, um, and if we can't resolve it, is somebody willing to, you know, take a ride down the street and cool off for a minute or, or here's some other resources that are available to you and that, that may be able to help you guys in, in the long run. And so it's unfortunate that the the gentleman involved in the situation uh, did not give, he didn't give life a chance, unfortunately, but uh, but he also didn't give those resources that were on the way the opportunity to help him or to help her or to help them. And that's what's just very tragic in that whole situation. Uh, help was on the way from both sides of the coin. And uh, for whatever reason, uh, you know, he, he just decided that he was just going to, you know, begin to take lives, and that's just so unfortunate. It is, and, and, and you know, and Chief, I really I really appreciate you. I mean, you paint, a, you really paint a picture that I think that connects with most of us. Is that, and, and definitely the picture that I try to convey, and I understand what you're saying. We're not trying to justify behaviors of those type of things, but what we are saying is that in many cases, perpetrators, when they reach this type of point, we have to understand that there is something that has gone seriously wrong with them as well. Seriously wrong. The ability to uh, to, to reason, uh, to reach their wits end, to feel like this is the way that, this is the only way that it's going to end, this is my only recourse. When they reach these type places here, oftentimes, I think is at the most vulnerable time of who they are. Most vulnerable. Still, I know in the culture of domestic violence, we don't have a whole lot of compassion for a abuser, a perpetrator. And I think that oftentimes that's where our danger lies. Because this individual didn't just wake up one morning and decide they're going to be an abuser. They didn't just wake up one morning and decide that, you know what, I think I'm just going to slap, I'm going to choke, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to beat, I'm going to kill. There are situations, circumstances, life experiences, exposures that informs this individual's decision and informs their rationale, informs their sense of reasoning, in terms of how they handle certain situations. 
And it brings me back to a point, Chief, that I think is so important. The amount of kids that are exposed to domestic violence grow up in an abusive home. The amount of violence, the amount of violence that we see even in games, you know, you think about it, a Call of Duty, games like that, different games on, on, on the different, you know, Playstations and all those things. Everything about it is about violence. It's about violence. No one negotiates anymore. No one sits down and discuss and try to rationalize anymore. It is almost as if the violence is the quick fix. And I say, is that what we are in today's society? Are we looking for a quick fix? And if that's the case, then guess what? There's no one in the world the law enforcement will be able to resolve this issue by themselves. There's no way that no domestic violence shelter agency will ever resolve this by itself. Advocacy. This is truly a communal type of situation. I mean, from the humanity of mankind. Chief, I've often asked myself this question here. I've asked this question. For the man who who decides to abuse and their wife and children, if they could look into the crystal ball in the future and see the impact of their children being exposed to violence, if they could look into the future and see how it impacts them mentally, you know, emotionally, psychologically and otherwise, would they stop the abuse? Would they abandon it? If they could fast forward and see, <laughs> if they could see themselves in the future, if they could look back and see the impact of what their lifestyle had on their family members, would they actually stop? I tend to think they would. I tend to think that sometimes a person needs to look in the mirror and recognize the harm, the terror that they've brought to so many. Our work is cut out for us as a as a people, as a community, as a society. And uh, I'm thankful today that I uh, I have uh, good people and colleagues and in, in individuals such as uh, uh, former Chief Michael Blow, who has uh, graced us again on this week. Uh, who stays on top of these things. I am very fortunate, uh, and I know that we, with only a few minutes left, I didn't. I, I looked at the little piece there that happened, and which we're saying, what, consecutive weeks now, Chief, where there was a church shooting. That's Last correct. week it was a sh- shooting, and uh, the pastor's brother shot and killed him. This week here, here's uh, the same pastor who had prayed with uh, President a Republican uh, candidate, Ted Cruz, just earlier, and was shot six times on his property. What insight can you lend to this as, as that story uh, hit the headlines last night? Well, you, you know, again, um, and, and I guess the story kind of speaks for itself, uh, Pastor Bennett, but what I will say is that, um, you know, this is a – this is something that um, is very troubling that 
because the church, no matter what your faith is, uh, mm-hmm. it, it's the, the church has always represented that stable force, stabilizing force in any community. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, historically, particularly in, in our community, uh, mm-hmm. the, the the church was where you went for 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 to be uplifted. You went there for organization. Uh, you went there for for a variety of things, and, mm-hmm. and and I'm sure that is the case in in many communities. And when you look at you know the incidents, you look at this week's incident, you look at last week's incident, you start to think, my goodness. And and of course the the the, the thing that really shocked the conscience, of course, was in uh, Pastor uh, Pinkney's church down in South Carolina. Uh, mm-hmm. When you look at those things, uh, it, it just it really makes you pause for a moment to think that that is the the, the church represents that stability, and you, and you say to yourself, what is going on? You know, uh, what is is happening that is that is you know that has made people get to the point where now we're we're killing people in church. Yeah, that's wow. just leave. You know, it, it's 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 unbelievable, and so you you know you you just wonder uh, where are we as a society that uh, now even your religious institutions are not the safe havens that they used to be, and you know, and anecdotally, I'm sure you re- you recall uh, many of the churches in the community uh, were would stay open 24 seven, and some wouldn't even lock their doors. Absolutely. And so, yes, I, I can recall growing up in, in Baltimore, uh, you know, several of the churches, uh, they, they stayed unlocked all night long. And people would come in during the day and pray and, and, and do other things, and and, uh, and you just knew that was not the place to do anything goofy. You, you, just, didn't, you just didn't do those types of things. And, um, you know, it, it's just, it, it's, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable, and of course, you know when the, you know, the guy that did the shooting, you know, yesterday in Idaho. I mean that that's just, it, it, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable, and uh, and of course this guy is an ex-marine, and um, you know, and again, you, you know, you, you start to ask yourself, you know, are, are we supporting? And, and providing the appropriate layer of support for our veterans and people who have been subjected to, if this guy was was subjected to those types of, of things, you know, you, you just wonder, are we giving the appropriate piercing trauma? Again, not to excuse this because there, there's no excuse for shooting people. But certainly we need to look at um, what support mechanisms are available for people who are coming back from active duty or, you know, law enforcement officers who've been involved in, in uh, life-changing situations or firefighters who've been, you know, just that type of stuff. But um, it's just a, a very, um, it's a very disconcerting situation. And, of course, as we talked about last week, um, you know, a lot of churches are are, are receiving training now. And uh, of course, I've been a part of that 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 movement, you know, training churches throughout the country, in in terms of church safety, and looking at 
every type of incident from A to Z. And, and of course, you know, we think about somebody walking in and, and, and shooting, but there are incidents, as we talked about last week, that can create uh, a situation in a church. You know, we, we sort of giggled a little bit last week, but, you know, in a wedding, somebody says, does anyone think that this girl shouldn't take this guy? And somebody stands up and says, I think that. And now you've got one heck of a fight and, and all kinds Absolutely. of chaos inside the church. And so I just think that sort of is a, it's a statement about where we are in, in society where we are having discussions. And two weeks in a row now we're, we're having a discussion about a church. And I, and I just think from, from two perspectives, I think this reiterates preparation on behalf of all the religious institutions in the country, I think everyone should have a safety plan to cover not only these types of, of active shooter situations, but domestic situations in your church, uh, weather emergencies, all kinds of things that could happen while you are in church. And I just think uh, it's just a good thing to do uh, because particularly the flock is looking to the pastor to protect them. And so I think Absolutely. this is just one other um, this is just one other thing in the in the arsenal that the pastor has to have in order to have a successful uh, religious institution. Well, you know, uh, Chief, I, I think you said a lot there, and I, I think what I want to do somewhere very near, uh, and hopefully we don't have another, you know, church shooting or pastor shooting, but I think we want to do a particular show here in the coming weeks, uh, particularly about. Uh, safety and church safety, and you know, you know, sure. I, I like, you know, is, is your church safe? Is the church a safe haven? And that is not to sure. scare anyone, but I think it's important that leaders understand the fact. Listen, even scripturally, you know, when Nehemiah and they were building the wall, the Bible declared there that listen, they had a sword in one hand and they had and they had their tools in the other. Because they understood they had to stand watch as they did the work of the Lord. And I think that what we're dealing with now in today's society is is a disrespect and a devaluing of the house of God. I I recall uh, years ago, especially in certain areas, that a person could be on the run, and they would almost find asylum in a church. They go to church, and the officers wouldn't go up. you You know, officers would stand down. But things are different today. Uh, uh, we're seeing so many things happening. We we talk about, and, and I think you raised another question. That's the reason I think that we need to get you back on is because you raised another question. You know, and, and this is not profiling. Uh, it's not profiling at all. But when we can look at a number of cases where the shooters were either officers or ex, you know, uh, military individuals that oftentimes have served active duty, then we have to make sure that the connection between those service individuals leaving, you know, uh, active duty, you know, that they go through the proper mental health evaluation that they need. And once again, it's not justified, but it is, you know, it is really saying, listen, this is not coincidence. These, All these things aren't coincidental. They're yeah. to be looked at. Sir, and we have to and, do and what again, we can. That's correct. And, and again, you know, they... Our, our our military folks are our heroes, and we just owe it to them to make sure that um, that we give them all the support that they need 
because I can't imagine some of the things that uh, that our, our military heroes have seen over the years, uh, you Absolutely. know, serving our country. That That's the point I'd like to make. And, and that is so very important, and, and that's one of the reasons, and definitely I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to campaign stuff or whatever, but I do say it's one of the reasons that we have to understand that when we start talking about, you know, funds to expand our services to our veterans and things like that, I hands down, hands down, that's not even a discussion to debate. We have to. It is almost inhumane for us as a society to not take care of those that have taken care of us. And understanding that that sacrifice is so far spread and so 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 broad that as a society, as a government, we have to do the right thing. We have to do the right thing. I think that's very important inside of that. Well, our time is actually gone, but Chief, as always, I'm, I'm glad to have you to be a part of the show. Called in, uh, I mean, uh, there to answer and address those issues there, and we're grateful tonight for that. And uh, as we always say to our listeners, and uh, to remember there is no excuse for abuse, that we have to take care of ourselves and understand that our lives are valuable and they do matter. Until next time, this is J.R. Thicklin, and I'm saying to you, go forth and do the right thing. Listen, break the silence of domestic violence. And until next week, I will see you at that time. Listen, be blessed and understand something that you are a difference maker. Have a great night.